0: You're thousands of miles from home, and the country where you've flown to for a quick holiday weekend is invaded by thousands of brutal terrorists. Any reasonable tourist would flee the scene, never to return. But if you are the CEO of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and the country is Israel, instead, within days, you bring a mission of 50 heads of Jewish legacy organizations back to Israel. This week, I, Amanda Borchel Dan sit down with William Deroff during yet another of his lightning trips back to Israel since the October 7th Hamas massacre. He describes how, following the brutal slaying of 1,200 mostly citizens and the hostage-taking of dozens of others, a second punch in the gut awaited him back in the United States.
1: While we were punched in the gut by what you experienced here, we get punched in the gut by what we experience in America, which was a incredible disconnect, a moment of cognitive dissonance where the, our allies, the people, our neighbors, the people that we'd worked with, the people that we had marched with, seemed to not get it, seemed to not understand uh, the tragedy that had occurred, and continue to not get it.
0: So this week, we asked longtime American Jewish leader William Deroff Where do American Jews go from here? And what matters now?
2: The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges?
0: William, thank you so much for joining me today in Jerusalem's
1: Nomi Studios. My pleasure.
0: We have not actually plotted or planned out our conversation at all, so it'll be very free-flowing. And you are, of course, the head of an organization that represents so much diversity in Judaism in the United States. So before we dive in at
1: all, I just want you to explain what you do. Thank you, Madden. It's great to be with you. And as I said to you a moment ago when we were doing our Levels It's amazing hearing your voice uh, front and center. I listen to you every morning and have for uh, weeks and weeks and weeks, and particularly since October 7th. So it's Todah Rabbah Kolakavod for the amazing service that you and the Times of Israel provides to listeners all over the world. The Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations is the umbrella organization of 50 national Jewish organizations, pretty much all of the mainstream legacy organizations that you could think of, AJC and ADL and the Jewish Federations and AIPAC. And JNF and uh, the religious streams—the relig- the Orthodox, the Reform, the Conservative, Hadassah, and i will get in trouble if I try to name all, don't all name fifty. Off. And don't name all of them. And uh, and we try to build consensus to have Jewish organizations working together, working in the same direction, uh, working for the betterment of the American Jewish community, working for the betterment of the U.S. Israel relationship. We were formed after the Suez Crisis which your learned listeners don't need me to review, although there is always Wikipedia. And the bottom line as it relates to the Suez Crisis was that President Eisenhower went with the Egyptians over the French, the British, and the Israelis on this crisis having to do with the Suez Canal. After that crisis, uh, where Ike went the wrong direction, the American Jewish leadership went to John Foster Dulles, the Secretary of State for whom the airport is named in Washington, and asked what the deal was, and Secretary Dulles said, the problem is that there were 12 Jewish organizations knocking on our door, saying, this is what the Jews think. Get yourselves together, come back to us with one voice and one uh, one message. And so from that, the Conference of Presidents was formed. The joke, of course, is that uh, in 1958, instead of 12 organizations knocking on Dulles' door, there were 13 organizations, the original 12, plus the conference. And it's funny, but it's also, it's not inaccurate because organizations continue to have their own agendas, their own relationships. Um, The hope is though that we move in unison um, in the same direction, or at least if we're moving a little bit in different directions that we have knowledge of what everybody's doing and there's communication.
0: The other very, very well quoted joke is of course, two Jews, three opinions. And so I find it fascinating that you can even reach some kind of consensus with 50 different voices speaking.
1: It's uh, it is an art form, uh, and I follow uh, in the footsteps of Malcolm Holmline, uh, who had the the position for thirty three years and stays on as our emeritus executive vice chairman. and And it's a uh, it is an art form that uh, looks to find the areas of agreement amongst our organizations and amongst our people. And I do believe in a reality we'll talk about post October seventh, I'm sure, but in the in the pre October seventh reality that. We agreed on 75 to 80% of issues uh, as as a community, uh, that Israel is the uh, eternal homeland of the Jewish people, that Jerusalem uh, is the capital. Uh, maybe there are disagreements, certainly disagreements over issues like uh, E1, uh, where the uh, specific line should be drawn in some sort of future agreement, and certainly disagreements over things like judicial reform and the the scope of Uh, government uh, engagement in certain uh, parts of of life here. But overall, 75, 80% uh, agreement. For instance, on the IHRA definition of anti-Semitism, the IRA definition of anti-Semitism, 49 of our 50 member organizations adopted the definition. And that's consensus. And those are the sorts of issues that uh, we engage with.
0: What was the organization that did not and why?
1: Americans for Peace Now, Uh, did not. And their reasoning is uh, because they believe that it squelches uh, anti-Israel speech.
0: Right. Okay. So this is actually something I want to ask you about. You have 50 different organizations, but I would assume that these organizations are not, if not now, or Open Hillel, if that's still a thing. I haven't checked in for a couple of years. Your organizations are all Zionist.
1: Yes. So, um, yes, they're Zionist. They are mostly legacy organizations that have been around uh, for a while, like AGC and ADL and uh, JNF, and I'm gonna get in trouble naming all these organizations again. And um, and there is a process by which new organizations can come in to be members. Um, but for the most part, these are legacy organizations that have been around for a long time that are establishment uh, and that are very much a part of uh, the mainstream of American Jewish thought. And with the note that it we we stretch from Americans for Peace Now to ZOA the Zionist Organization of America, we have Amenu the Labor Zionists, we have obviously the Reform movement, um, JINSA the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs um, that's center right, uh, and everything in between. So there is very much a gamut, and um, but I think that for instance the the IRA uh, vote where forty nine of our organizations recognize that this internationally. Um, accepted gold standard of a definition of anti-semitism is necessary in order to combat it and that's consensus 49 out of 50 i'll take any day on any issue uh, anywhere uh, in any venue Uh, and since october 7th uh, this solidarity and the unity is palpably stronger than it has ever been in my lifetime I was born in 1968, so I can. Uh, I, I don't want to talk about 67, I wasn't there, but for sure the last 55 years, the uh, connection that we have as a American Jewish community to each other, the connection that we have to Israel and to the people of Israel is stronger, I think, than it's ever been. And it is uh, amazing to witness the collaboration, the cooperation, the giving the benefit of the doubt to others the sort of values that uh, we as a Jewish people hold but that are often difficult given the um, vicissitudes of life uh, to actually uh, follow is, has been remarkable uh, here and uh, here in Israel and in, uh, in America and across the world.
0: Of course, in media, those who shout loudest are most picked up on, right? And so from here, from me sitting here in Israel, I haven't been in the States since the Pittsburgh shooting, so that's five years already, It sounds to me that the mainstream, you mentioned mainstream, that mainstream Jewish thinking is moving increasingly away from Israel. On the other hand, since we founded the Times of Israel in uh, 2012, I've been writing nonstop or have people written nonstop on the rift between Israel and the diaspora. So what are you seeing from where you sit?
1: I see such a uh, non-existence of a rift as we speak now there is so much connectivity when i uh from jews from non-jews we'll talk about jews but from jews across the board wanting to give a hug to each other and wanting to give a hug to israelis and to get a hug from israelis we should hug when this is over amanda i'll i'll give you a hug on behalf of american jewry
0: don't catch my cold though oh I'll, I'll give you a virtual <laughs> hug on behalf of american jewry
1: the um, that connection, I think, is is stronger than ever. I have friends who have been disconnected from Judaism, who after October seventh have become connected, who are starting to go to shul. Who are uh, I have a friend who is as secular as anybody I know, who started wearing a, a yarmulke uh, on October eighth as a way of expressing his connection to our people. Uh, organizations like uh, APAC and AJC and ADL and organizations outside the Conference of Presidents like Stand With Us are just having amazing impact and amazing engagement, the Jewish federations, of course, as well. Um, it is really a, a renaissance of connectivity between ourselves and with Israel. My hope is that we can bottle uh, this sense of unity and solidarity on all of these different levels and keep it going.
0: You, of course, speak from organized jury. I never belonged to organized jury in the States or in Canada when I was growing up. And I just wonder, how many Jews do? I mean, how much do you actually represent in terms of numbers of the Jewish population?
1: That's a good question. Um, I think that we represent uh, all of American Jewry, whether they seek to be engaged with us or not. Uh, That to some extent, um, and this is what we're seeing with disconnected Jews who are coming back post-October 7th, that... They uh, defer uh, to those who are engaged in the community to make decisions on behalf of the community. Things are going okay. Uh, I'm fine where I am. I'm glad there are people who are doing what they're doing, but I'm busy making money, raising a family, and what have you. Um, It is those exact same folks who post October 7th, as we've had this crisis here and the crisis in America, um, as a result, are coming home to the Jewish community. So I don't... uh, uh, I feel like uh, just like the member of Knesset represents Israelis who don't vote, or the member of Congress represents his or her constituents who, who don't vote or don't engage, uh, that that's a, a similar modality for leaders of the American Jewish community. And that there are enough of us with enough uh, variety of opinions and diversity that I'm fairly confident that we represent uh, the diversity of opinion amongst those who are in the, uh, less engaged in the organized community.
0: You've, of course, mentioned October 7th several times. So tell me how you experienced
1: October 7th. I was here uh, in Jerusalem. I was uh, in the old city of Jerusalem in the Rova, in the Jewish quarter, and woke up on Saturday morning, October 7th, to the sound of the sirens from the uh, rocket alarms, the the red alert. Uh, It is, for those of you who don't hang out in Jerusalem, it's unusual. uh, Not um, totally uh, out of... uh, than normal for there to be uh, alerts, but it's unusual. Because Jerusalem is so far away from Gaza, because there's such a large Arab uh, population here, uh, the thought is that they don't shoot here very often. So it was, it was noteworthy. Uh, and then um, there was another uh, alert. And then uh, slowly uh, news started coming in. It was... Uh, I was in the old city of Jerusalem, which is a place that is very cut off from the rest of the world during Shabbat, during holidays. So the news, uh, it's not like there was a a CNN uh, TV in the corner that just happened to be on. Uh, But The news came in pretty quickly uh, about the massive rocket attack and then about the ongoing uh, massacre that was occurring in the South. And in the old city, things were pretty tense. It is a on a good day, things can be tense in the old city because the populations are so close to each other, uh, the Arab quarter, the Jewish quarter. And um, so the old city was totally empty um, and there was no action at all. And I immediately uh, started engaging uh, with American Jewish leadership uh, with the Israeli government. Uh, And on October 8th, we had our sort of first set of emergency Zooms among the leadership uh, of the organizations and I was uh, I literally did not leave uh, the house I was in in the old city uh, until uh, that Tuesday when I was able to leave uh, the country. but the um, when I came into Israel on uh, Thursday, October the fifth, I took the train from the airport and then the streetcar down Jaffa Road and I noticed, as we were passing uh, the Shuk, the energy and the vibrancy. This was the last day of the hog, the last day of the holiday, the Thursday before Shabbat, the end of the holiday. And there were just people everywhere and smiling and laughing and running around. The weather was perfect. And then, as the uh, as the tram headed up Jaffa, we passed the uh, Ben Yehuda street. And it was the same exact thing. It was like there was a Ben uh, B'nai Akiva Kiva convention. There were just kids everywhere and families. And I thought to myself, wow, this is amazing. COVID is over. Yeah, Israel is back. This is normalcy, and it's so amazing. And I was sort of kicking myself for not spending more of the, the hog here because the spirit seems so amazing. And Shabbat at the Kotel on October 6th was just amazing. The energy and the vibrancy and you know their whatever, 60 minyamin going on at one time and with the Torahs. And then to have that just evaporate um, October 7th was very, um, like a, a punch in the gut that, uh, like many of us, I think we still have not quite recovered from.
0: And when you returned to the United States, did you feel like they got it? Did they understand that there's before October 7th and there's after October 7th?
1: Who's the they? The,
0: the Jews, those you're interacting with. Yeah
1: yes i think that is a i think a piece of our unity and solidarity comes from the universal experience that we all had of all literally getting punched in the stomach at the same time uh and seeing slowly but not too slowly uh the video footage and the testimonies um in real time of what was happening uh and then shortly thereafter of of the remnants of what uh, the South looks like, uh, and obviously the hostage situation. Uh, I think it was evident very quickly. I think we also had a double whammy, which was while we were punched in the gut by what you experienced here, we get punched in the gut by what we experience in America, which was a incredible disconnect, uh, a moment of cognitive dissonance where the, our allies, the people, our neighbors, the people that we'd worked with, the people that we had marched with, seemed to not get it, seemed to not understand uh, the tragedy that had occurred, and continue to not get it. And it's been a um, a real wake up call. And it's, as I said, it's like a second punch in the gut, where we get punched the first time by Hamas, and we get punched the second time by the rising rising anti semitism and by the the total um, rejection of the truth and reality of what happened.
0: Somewhat of a betrayal in a way, because Jews have shown up so many times for so many different causes across the world, but especially in the United States. And then to have your friend, neighbor, those who you thought were your friends, not show up for you, that must just be a a terrible, terrible thing to live with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, as I said, like a punch in the stomach. And it continues... To this day, with ten seven denialism, with the uh, the lack of uh, as it relates to the the sexual assaults on um, that occurred and the the lack of any sort of uh, reality by these leaders uh, who can't get past their intersectional limitations of having any sort of affinity for Israelis.
0: got married this Monday in the middle of a war.
2: You are not a soldier anymore, you are
1: 50 years old, what is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here, like my friend has a 4x4, four four. let's just go cut across the fields and go get him.
2: Israel Stories, wartime diaries, voices that try to capture slivers of life right now
1: and he told me take with you uh, a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go i texted him on like after i was told that he was killed
0: from their eyes i was a traitor everybody needs their like blankie their teddy bear something to make them feel safe
1: i'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war these children of hamas now will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic, because we don't have room for pessimism.
2: Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You have been back to Israel since then?
1: Yes, we had a uh, so a few things. I went back to America. We immediately did a a uh, emergency solidarity um, event in Washington at the historic Sixth and I Synagogue, where we had three hundred and fifty leaders from across the United States, Jewish leaders, who convened with the leadership of Congress, the uh, Speaker of the House, or the at the time the House Republican leader, the um, House Democratic leader, the Senate. Uh, Republican leader, Schumer, uh, uh, Mitch McConnell, and the Senate Democratic leader, Chuck Schumer, as well as Secretary Mayorkas from the Department of Homeland Security, as well as a survivor of, uh, of the NOVA Festival. And, um, and that was uh, nine days after and was um, very moving uh, and one where the leadership of the American government made clear to the leadership of the American Jewish community that they stand with us and stand with. Israel in its time of need. We then, uh, fifty of us, uh, went straight to the airport and flew here to Israel and had an emergency solidarity mission, where we met with survivors and f- and hostage families and soldiers in the hospital at Hadassah Hospital and met with the Prime Minister uh, and other and the President Herzog and other senior leadership um, here to express uh, our solidarity and our and our connection. And that was maybe uh, started ten days after. Um, October 7th, and-
0: um, What was the Israel that you found then?
1: So on the way to the airport on uh, October 10th, um, it was very different than it had been uh, when I took the tram in. The streets were empty. It was like COVID times. Um, It was just empty. Or like uh, we just, it's raining in, in Jerusalem today and we were hearkening to when it snows here and how the city totally shuts down. And that's what it was like. There was just no one anywhere, no streets. Coming back, um, it was uh, a little more active, but not much more. People seemed to still be in a state of shock, uh, and and there were still, at that point, there were actually still some Hamas terrorists who hadn't been caught in the south. Um, so people were on a, a state of more of a state of alert. Uh, the situation in the north, which as we record this is still unsettled, was. Maybe more unsettled at that point. Um, so it was, uh, streets were more empty. People were very, very pleased to see us. And um, I mean, one of the amazing things about being here and giving hugs uh, to Israelis is how much they appreciate it and how much we all feel alone uh, and how together we can push through that.
0: I have to say, I'm skipping forward a bit, but of course, it's no secret that you were one of the organizers of the massive, massive rally in uh, Washington, DC, in the mall, America's backyard, as I was uh, (laughs) told that it is. And there were almost 300,000 people there, not just Jews, of course. And I was watching it live streamed and was just moved to tears several times, over and over and over and over. Tell me a little bit about the backlash, though, because we wrote about this a bit on the Times of Israel that uh, there were many allegations that it wasn't mainstream Judaism that was there, it wasn't mainstream Jewry of of America, and that it was geared more towards uh, the Orthodox crowd or things of that nature. But I have to say in what I saw in the crowd scenes, it, it didn't seem that way. So what were your impressions? And is this just a tempest
1: in a teapot? At the end of the day, what will be remembered and what should be remembered is that nearly 300,000 people gathered on the National Mall for what is likely the largest gathering of Jews in one place since Harsinai. That's the story. Uh, who spoke, who didn't speak, um, what prayers were said, what prayers weren't said, I think is uh, yesterday's news. and you know, maybe it'll end up in the Wikipedia post uh, about it. But beyond that, um, I don't think there's much to it. As you said, um, if you looked at the crowd and you can easily see the video um, by Googling it on uh, on YouTube or on C-SPAN, it represented such a, a, mass, a massive mosaic uh, of American Jewry. We had Haredi, we had Modern Orthodox, we had Secular, we had uh, Peace Now, which I mentioned, Americans for Peace Now was there. Um, they put out an email um, that said, We might not agree. Actually, they said, We're certain that we're not going to agree with everything that's said from the stage, but we know it's important for us to be there to stand arm in arm. Uh, and my guess is there are people on the right who had similar uh, issues uh, with things that were said. Uh, but we had Republicans and Democrats. We had um, men and women. We had old people and young people. We had music um, that was uh, religious and non-religious. And I think it very much um, tried to take in and it successfully took in the spirit of the moment where we're all one people working together in unity and solidarity. And having been here for our emergency solidarity mission and seeing how important it was to hug and be hugged that was a big motivator for us with the, um, with the March on Israel as well, that the Jewish federations of North America and the Conference of Presidents um, spearheaded the idea that we needed to hug each other uh, and that we need to send a big, big hug to our brothers and sisters here in Israel.
0: I was really impressed, again, by the diversity of speakers and the diversity of the crowd. And I actually thought it was, yes, very important that not only Jews were on the stage and not only Jewish leaders, and in fact that there are some Christians up there and Christian who probably don't represent what most Jews think or feel, but... Of course, we need to draw on our allies during this very long war that we're going to be fighting. Was that part of your calculus as well?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Part of our audience was Congress and the Biden administration. And part of the message was to show that America stands with Israel during its time of need. That the fringy uh, pro-Hamas radicals that you see stopping people from getting into Grand Central Station or protesting in Harvard Square do not represent America. Uh, And our polling data shows that. The um, uh, polling data that we did a poll uh, along with the Jewish Federation of North America in concert with the march that showed that well over 80% of Americans um, support Israel uh, during this and support um, eliminating Hamas's ability to conduct terror Uh, and even among young people even among the 18 to 24 set uh, the number was well over 65 percent lower than it should be but still high the american people are in the right place on this and that's part of what we were trying to message and so we had a muslim we had christians uh, we had uh, hollywood folks uh, jews and non-jews alike it was uh, really about trying to show that This is a snapshot of America, and this is where America stands.
0: What date was that rally?
1: It was on November the 14th.
0: Okay, life is just one long blink for me right now. Do you think that this snapshot that we had from over a month ago is still accurate today in terms of the American uh, support for Israel in the the war?
1: The polling data shows um, that it is. Um, I think that um, the more that the imagery... In news media shifts from october 7th to um the uh, scenes of of, uh, of gaza uh, of dismantling a terrorist infrastructure that uh, those images are difficult to compete with but at the end of the day the american people know that there's one side here that's good and there's one side that's evil and recognizes that uh, the evil of hamas is an evil that needs to be stopped uh, an evil that can spread throughout the region here, an evil that can spread through Europe, and then an evil that has come to America before and can come again. So I'm confident the American people are in the right place. Um, but it's uh, it's complicated. Complicated with news media, complicated with social media, particularly complicated with TikTok.
0: So let's talk about the TikTok generation. That's, of course, the hotbed of uh, controversy right now over this war, the campus uh, situation. And part of your Conference of Presidents is, several campus organizations,
1: Hillel, AEPI, what else? Those are, well, a number of organizations that are also involved in campus, um, but Hillel and AEPI are the two um, campus-oriented. TikTok is a major problem. The uh, people in that age group, uh, under 30, uh, receive the majority of their news from TikTok. So the way that I might go to the Times of Israel website, um, or to uh, the New York Times, um, they're looking at, um, at TikTok and these TikTok, the average TikTok post is 33 seconds. So it's not uh, all that in depth. Uh, and the algorithm is such on TikTok that pro-Hamas, anti-Israel postings are elevated beyond pro-Israel postings. So there's a thumb on the scale and the algorithm And the way TikTok works is you sort of get into these, um, into like a cul-de-sac where um, if uh, all you're asking about is Taylor Swift, uh, you're going to see more Taylor Swift than you've ever wanted to see. And so once you start clicking uh, on the Israel-Palestinian stuff and it's weighted towards the Hamas narrative, that's all you're going to see. Uh, and it's something that is incredibly problematic. It's something that we're talking to the TikTok people about. It's something that Congress is looking at in general, as far as the influence that TikTok has and its ownership. And, and it's not just the case as it relates to Israel that the thumb is on the scale. It's uh, the thumb is on the scale as it relates to postings uh, relative to China. Or uh, if you want to look at China Uyghur stuff, the, the Uyghurs are nowhere on TikTok. And the same with Russia, Ukraine, uh, where it, it very much is weighed towards Russia. So there are forces at play who are playing with this algorithm and that's creating huge problems for us. Beyond that, just on a numbers game, there are far more um, folks uh, who are Arab and Muslim who are more inclined to uh, be anti-Israel than there are um, who are on on our side of those barricades. And so just sort of in general terms, it's it's a fight that's on social media will be difficult to begin with, but one that we should at least demand and have a fair playing field.
0: Uh, your role is not to reach out directly to the campus uh, youth, but I would imagine that there could be a sense that there's a bit of a failure of leadership here if there is such a swath of Jewish uh, college students who are against Israel to begin with, but let's say pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas even. And and we are seeing that a bit in the polling, not just Jewish Uh, college students, but college students in general, I should say. So what do you do in this situation? What do you do in your role as the president of the Congress of Presidents? How can you
1: fix this? William, fix it. Thank you very much. You sound like my wife, Heidi. My (laughs) beloved wife, Heidi, wants me to fix all the problems of the world. There are on a lot of levels. I mean, one is to try to ensure that the very many levels of engagement that are occurring uh, are coordinated, that organizations and funders and foundations and others who are who are engaging in the university scene, looking at anti-Semitism since October 7th, um, are coordinated. That's on one level. So for instance, um, there's an organization called SJP, Students for Justice in Palestine, which is the main provocateur on college campuses across the United States there are many efforts to look at their funding, to look at whether they're providing material support to a terrorist organization, to look at the extent to which universities should continue to accredit them as an official student organization, uh, and many other issues related to them. And there are, um, I can tell you, uh, at least a dozen efforts by different organizations focused on SJP. And we're in a place where I can sort of help guide people in the right direction, connect people together. Uh, People are looking at different facets of the issues related to SJP and their funding. And so having a coordinating role, working closely uh, with our member organizations and others who are engaged there is part of uh, what we're involved in. It's also engaging with university presidents. Um, The congressional testimony by the presidents of MIT, Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania was incredibly eye-opening for American Jewry, uh, and I think for other university presidents. And we've seen some statements from university presidents who say, here at the University of Oshkosh, um, we do not condone supporters of genocide. It is a violation of our student policy of conduct to support genocide. And so I think that wake-up call to people who are grounded in reality is helpful and i'm hopeful that we'll see more calls from university presidents who are able to get their heads out of the clouds and out of the ivory towers and 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 condemn genocide which sounds ridiculous to say um i'm also hopeful in the near term uh with cold weather and colleges being on winter break and god willing uh, with the conflict here becoming less intense um that things will be less intense on college campus when kids come back in the new year.
0: That's really interesting. You're leaving tonight, going back to the States again, and I assume, what are you taking back this time? What is Israel today?
1: It's um, more vibrant and more back to a new normal than it was when I was last year. So there's a new normal that seems to have descended, and I noticed that when uh, on the Tel Aviv beach, I saw people playing that incredibly dangerous game of Makot with the the ball and the and the two tennis rackets, um, as though things were normal. And um, and so things are a little bit back to normal. I think everybody is still somewhat depressed, uh, and but at the same time, incredibly focused as a, a Jewish people. Uh, on conducting this war and winning this war and moving out of it when you see people and say how you doing Uh, there's still not a uh, perfunctory uh, platitudinal i'm fine it's sort of a raise of the eyebrow and you know considering i'm okay um there is incredible focus on the hostages and on doing what needs to be done to liberate them There is also incredible focus, I think unanimous focus, on the need to ensure that Hamas is decimated and does not have the ability to conduct terror strikes against Israel. And I think that there is, across the board, great unity on that. And when people say that they don't think that Israelis have it in their stomach to to, to move this forward, I think they're not talking to Israelis just across the board, whether it's a taxi cab driver or the barista at Aroma. Um, people are in one place on this. Uh, that, well, for, you know, my the taxi cab driver told me yesterday, yesterday, last night, uh, that he feels raped by what happens. He feels like Hamas raped him. He feels, he said, hurt. He feels embarrassed. He feels angry. Um, And I think that's how a lot of Israelis feel. I know that's how a lot of American Jews feel. And the key will be for us to take that energy and focus, move it in a positive direction, keep it going as long as we can, and recognize that as brothers and sisters, we really only have ourselves to depend upon and that we need to depend upon each other to move forward.
0: William, I'm so grateful to have spoken with you and also to know that you're taking our message, the message of Israelis, you're representing us as well, back to your home tariff. So thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Amanda, and thank you to you and the Whole Times of Israel crowd. The, The daily podcasts are just remarkably wonderful to keep us connected, so thank you. Pleasure.
0: On December seventeenth, the Conference of Presidents took out an ad in the New York Times headlined Hatred of Israel is Endangering American Jews. In the text-filled ad, the organization decries the use of disagreement with Israel as a pretext to attack Jews worldwide, but it also writes that it reaffirms that Jews and Judaism are inextricably linked to the land of Israel. As an Israeli, I wonder for how long these two principles will continue to coincide for American Jews. This podcast was recorded in Jerusalem's Nomi Studios and produced and edited by the Podwaves. Have a comment about this or other episodes of What Matters Now? Email us at timesofisrael.com. Look for more What Matters Now episodes and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, shalom.